Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. So hello from England, City Collective Church. My name is Claire and I'm so glad to be joining you this week for your talk. Um, massive shout out to Zoe, Pastor Zoe, my dear friend and former colleague. Thank you so much, Pastor Jason, Pastor Zoe, for the invitation just to share some thoughts with you all at City Collective Church. And I'm really hoping that you will be blessed, but also that you'll be challenged by what I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few moments. And, you know, when I heard about uh, Songs of Summer and um, the invitation by Pastor Zoe, I was just moved immediately. And I knew that this invitation was not a mistake. I felt that God was um, allowing me to contribute something to your series. And that's because um, last year for me was not a, a, um, a summer of, you know, joyful songs, but actually a summer of sorrows or, or tears of summer. And that's not just because of the pandemic, but also because I'm sure you can tell or infer uh, due to a lot of the racial injustice that we saw, that conversation which emerged with force during um, the summer of 2020. And it wasn't just a conversation or an intellectual argument. It was actually very visceral for me um, as a black British woman. And um, so this kind of began around the, the emerging picture of um, disproportionate deaths. Uh, due to COVID among the black British community and listening to the press and listening to discussions and, and, and conversations, trying to pinpoint why that was. Um, and then also hearing from America, the, the hunting down and killing of Ahmed Arbery and then seeing uh, the life of George Floyd being snuffed out. And so there was just this, this, this pain of knowing that this virus was you know, affecting people's ability to breathe and then hearing George Floyd cry out to his mother, cry out in pain, I can't breathe. His mother who was deceased as well. So you can tell the amount of despair that he was in. And just seeing George Floyd, seeing Ahmed Arbery, listening to the, the, the disproportionate deaths among the black British community and just thinking, you know, that could be my uncle, that could be my father, that could be my brother, that could be my cousin. And just beginning to feel quite frustrated and despairing, especially last year. And it was a season of compounding sorrow. And I questioned, as many of, as many of us do at different times in our life, I questioned if God cared. If he really saw what was going on. If he cared about racial injustice, if it actually mattered to him. And I had actually no words left to pray none i could feel my heart you know becoming quite calloused should i say or, or calcifying because of the the weight of the conversation about racial injustice and all of that that all of what comes with it and i remember my my summer of sorrows actually um just began to be played to the tune of of um the psalms psalms of lament psalms of sorrow psalms of despair anger courage and even hope my songs of summer and I didn't realize actually how powerfully God speaks to us through the Psalms until last summer and that's because 
partly because in our Western culture, we kind of have this um, dichotomy, this we pit rationality and, and cerebral knowledge against emotions and feelings or, or lived experience. And that is that is a false dichotomy. We are holistic. We're made in the image of God. We're relational and um, we are also intelligent as well. We're intelligent beings. And so we are holistic in the sight of God. But I think that when we read the Psalms, what we actually get in this, this great corpus of poetry in the midst of all the different genres of the Bible, so parables, we have prophecy, we have um, the, the uh, apocalyptic literature, we have history, we have biography, in the midst of all that, this book of poetry sits and it's, it, it says something about the heart of God. It shows us that God is not afraid as one of my colleagues often used to say to me, God is not afraid of our big emotions. It shows us that we can we can come to him authentically. We can come to him and speak frankly about the things that we face. And sometimes actually poetry, more than prose, more than um, nonfiction, can actually communicate more deeply, resonates more deeply with us, the things that we feel. And right in the midst of this, this anthology of genres in the Bible, that make up the Bible, should I say, we have the book of Psalms and it speaks to our existential needs. It's a testament to the fact that God understands that we are these holistic beings. And just this very week, it was underscored to me the significance of the psalm. And it was in a post on Instagram um, via the Jude 3 Project. Do check them out when you have a chance. Jude 3 Project is um, an African-American apologetics ministry which looks at objections to faith, particularly from the black experience in America, uh, run by a fantastic um, leader, Lisa Fields. Now, in this post that they, they put up on Instagram, it was talking about the Negro Slave Bible, which was an 1800 text which took selected portions of the the 66 book canon of scripture and put them into the slave bible and did so to to stop slaves from understanding how liberating and how freeing god's vision for for us in relationship with him god's vision for salvation actually is now so not only was the literacy of slaves uh, micromanaged or or in fact prohibited slaves were not allowed to read not only was their literacy um, managed, but also the content of what they could read. It's just, it's just, it's just awful. Now, in this Jude 3 Project post, they, they, what they did, the ministry tallied the number of um, scriptures or, or books of the Bible that were included into the Negro Slave Bible. And interestingly, not a single psalm was included. 150 psalms. Zero percent of the Psalms were included. But years later, a black British woman born to Caribbean parents in the UK was able to, by God's grace, read through the very book that my ancestors were prohibited from reading and find hope and strength in the same discussions concerning racial injustice. What a God we serve. And so as we read through the Psalms today, we're going to be considering three questions. First of all, what is it about the Psalms? We've touched on that a little bit. Two, 
what does the specific psalm we're reading today, Psalm 72, um, um, who should I say does the psalm point to? And then what is or why is that person so significant? Question one, what is it about the psalms? Who does our psalm point to? And what is it about that person that is so significant? And so with all this in mind about what I've given this context of the, 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 the Negro slave Bible, this, this tool of oppression, why is it or what is it about the Psalms? What is it about them? Why were they excluded from this text? What is so offensive or threatening to an organised system of oppression that enslavers removed this body of poetry from the Negro slave Bible? And so suddenly poetry doesn't seem so innocuous anymore. The, the Psalms clearly carried some weight, pointing an accusatory finger at enslavers and pointing to the God of justice. Perhaps the Psalms do indeed have something to say about racial injustice, perhaps even poetic justice, literally poetic justice. So let's take a look at this Psalm together, Psalm 72. I'm going to read one to four. I know someone's already read it for us. Thank you very much. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. For may he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Now you can just imagine how much of a balm these words, these prayers were to me as I was reading through them during the summer of sorrows of 2020. So this psalm was likely uh, written for Solomon by his father David. It suggests some sort of inauguration, um, some sort of coming in of a new king. And so the psalm clearly speaks to the time at which it was written, but it also has a looking forward um, kind of sense about it. It's uh, prophetic, if you will, in nature as well. But if we look at the first two verses of the psalm, there's something significant about the way that um, the words and the request, the content of the psalm is structured. Verse one and two, it says, give the king your justice or endow the king with your justice. Notice the, the request is not to ask for, for wealth, for houses, for lands, for power. It's for justice, the ability to judge rightly. That is the primary request. And from that request, if you look again at verses one and two, out of the king's ability to judge rightly, the people are blessed. They are the ones who benefit from that. And then the people on the margins of society, the afflicted or the needy or the poor, some translations say the poor are blessed. And so wrapped up into this idea of kingship and leadership is this sense of responsibility, that it is the king's job to judge rightly so people who do not have his position, do not have his standing, can flourish. And then verse three, we get the request for prosperity. May the mountains bring prosperity to whom? The people, not the king, you know, to the king. So prosperity is secondary and it's people who will benefit because the king is able to judge rightly. And again, we get this sense of the king judging rightly, the people benefiting, the oppressed and the needy, their needs being met. So I'm not talking about capitalism, I'm talking about socialism, I'm not talking about Marxism, I'm, not talk I'm asking the question today, if 
God cares about justice, specifically racial, racial justice? Does he have anything to say about it? And so we see that responsibility in God's economy is prioritised over wealth. It's revealing God's heart of what kingship, of what authority, what those in leadership should be like. And this runs countercultural, perhaps, to our own human nature, where we probably want wealth and justice in equal measure. But God is saying, no, one is greater than the other. There's this kind of kingdom economy, this almost divine um, exchange that the king is blessed with justice. And so because of that, his people are blessed with an opportunity to flourish. And so there's something about the character of God. And we get this record, not just in the Psalms. This is not just poetry for poetry's sake we see this played out in other parts of the bible the character and the nature of god if you read the prophetic books you know god does not play when it comes to justice especially in the prophetic books in the book of micah um where we get the famous verse micah chapter 6 and verse 8 he has shown you O mortal what is good and what does the lord require of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god and so it seems then that God does indeed care about justice. Those prophetic books, particularly the book of Micah, God points a finger to the leaders of the day and holds them accountable for the suffering of the marginalised and also for leading people astray away from, from, um, from righteous living. God cares about justice. So we've already established that this poem speaks to the time at which it was written, possibly around uh, King Solomon's uh, forthcoming reign. But to whom else does this psalm point to? And verse 12 to 14, I'm going to read them briefly. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. This king will take pity. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. So what we have now in this psalm is a move, kind of switching of tenses and, and style, a move away from may he, a request or petition to he will, almost declarative and prophetic, that looking forward tone that the, the psalm is, has shifted in the way that it's written there. But to whom or to, to what is it looking forward to? And so when we read Psalm 72, verses 12 to 14, it's quite a hef hefty job description there. This king is going to, uh, this king is going to um, deliver the afflicted. This king is going to save the needy from death, rescue uh, people from oppression and violence, treasure. Uh, this king is going to treasure as precious the lives of the marginalized this king cannot just be solomon this king is this this work here speaks of a greater one who is not just merely mortal and so the psalms are not the only place in scripture where we have uh the the uh, poetry as a form being employed and whenever we're studying the bible um whenever we see themes or motifs genres being repeated forms we should do some cross-referencing we should take note of that now in the book of Isaiah again the form of poetry is used and these verses have resonances specifically with Isaiah 53 
And in that book, we read in poetic form, check it out when you have the chance, Isaiah 53 verse 7, he was oppressed, this coming king, he was oppressed and afflicted. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. I'm going to read that again. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. And so can you hear that, that similar language of exchange that we see in Psalm 72? That where, where justice is expected of the king and then the people flourish in his ability to judge rightly. Well, in Isaiah 53, what we have there is that justice is taken on by this coming king, this coming Messiah, this, this holy one, this servant king. Justice is taken on by that. The punishment of justice is taken upon him. And in exchange, we receive peace from God. Hallelujah. And so why then, our third question, is this person talked about the, 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 the kind of shadows of this coming person in, in Isaiah 53, in Psalm 72? Why are they so significant? Well, thinking about our question of racial injustice specifically and my heart's cry through the sorrow, uh, the summer of sorrow of 2020, thinking about the person of Jesus. Well, for Jesus, for someone claiming to be God incarnate, Jesus had such humble beginnings and a very shameful seeming end. His parents were refugees. His family was poor or needy, just like those described in Psalm 72. He belonged, Jesus belonged to an historically persecuted ethnic minority group. He grew up in the underwhelming town of Nazareth. He shared and taught his messages of God's love and God's kingdom through the use of parables. And this was evidence of his being an authentic member of first century Jewish rabbinic culture. Jesus was ostracized for speaking truth to power. Jesus worked miracles among the sick and the diseased and he socialized with the outcasts the nobodies and the racial others of his day. He was falsely accused, he was criminalised and he endured an illegal trial. He was executed in a most horrific and shameful way and he endured the horrors of state violence. He, Jesus, this king, speaks profoundly to sadly the experience of many ethnic minorities who often face injustice in the very institutions and systems which are designed to uphold justice. But the Christian claim actually goes further than that, friends. The Christian claim is of a God incarnate who took on not only the cultural identity of uh, oppressed Jews in first century Palestine, but he took on the cultural identity of humanity. And in that, that included our corporate desire for justice, whether that be racial justice, environmental justice. That is the person of Jesus. That is the God incarnate. And in the last moments of his death, Jesus called out to his father, 
in utter desperation and pain, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in Jesus, we not only have a God who cares about justice or, or notes injustice, but he knows what it feels like to suffer it himself. The prophetic impulse from Psalm 72 that we've already explored, it comes through again in verse 14. He will uh, rescue from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. And verse 17, speaking prophetically, all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. This is the promise. This is God's way of working through the servant King Jesus, to bring about ultimate relationship for all of us. This is why we see in, in, in the biblical account a range of ethnic minority groups coming to know Jesus. We learn of a Samaritan woman and her people becoming Christians. We learn of a Nubian official becoming Christians. We learn of Greek philosophers becoming Christians. And in these accounts, we don't see we don't see the Bible endorsing racial injustice as the enslavers did with their doctored version of the Bible. We don't see that in the biblical accounts, in all of their comprehensive and full beauty. What we actually see is a celebration of ethnic, of, of ethnic and cultural diversity. We don't see the erasing or the silencing of cultural or racial difference. We see it celebrated and in their cultures, the cultural others live out their newfound Christian faith in their cultures, not through the erasing of them. And so in Jesus, we see a God who not only suffered, but overcame injustice through his resurrection and his triumph. His triumph is the reason that today I have hope and strength in the ongoing fight against racism and actually have hope in its ultimate end in the life to come. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.